You guys look a little happier than you did yesterday, <laughs> at least from my vantage point. Maybe a few hearts breaking open, perhaps. So one of the biggest insights I ever got in therapy was uh, I walked in, probably after having gone to therapy for about like eight or nine years, and I said to my therapist, I'm thinking that like all these retreats that I've been on, all these self-help workshops that I've done, all these books I've read, ultimately it's not about being happy, is it? And she said, what do you think it's about? And I said, I think it's about being fully alive. And she said, La, being fully alive is way better than being happy. And that was a really pivotal point for me. And so I want to share with you um, what Thich Nhat Hanh calls, or what in, uh, Buddhism's called the five remembrances. You know, what drew, drew me to this practice, what drew me to Buddhism, was that it was so all about what was real. <laughs> it was like actually about the truth, right? And so um, it said that when you deny the reality of life, you appreciate it less. When you meditate on the Buddha's five remembrances and rediscover the magic of life just as it is. So here's what reality is. I am of the nature to grow old. There is no way to escape growing old. I am of the nature to have ill health. There is no way to escape ill health. I am of the nature to die. There is no way to escape death. All that is dear to me and everyone I love are of the nature to change. There is no way to escape being separated from them. My actions are my only true belongings. I cannot escape the consequences of my actions. My actions are the ground upon which I stand. So we can see that two ways, right? Like, oh my God, why did you bring that up? (laughs) And another way of looking at it is like, oh my God, like, that's it, you know? And we live under this illusion that we have time. You know, I teach uh, mindfulness to teenagers and young adults, and at the very beginnings of the retreats, I tell them, like, you are not guaranteed to live another 40 or 50 years. I'm a real pleasant person to, <laughs> to learn from, aren't I? <laughs> and so, like, this is all you've got, is like right now, you know. One day I was sitting in my car and I was at a crosswalk and you know how they have those lights in in big cities where it tells you how many seconds you have to get across the street? So I was looking at it and I was like, oh my God, that's my life ticking away. (laughs) It is. It's like, that's so deep, dude. (laughs) (laughs) And so like how much of our lives do we spend, you know, like, ruminating and thinking about these things and telling ourselves these same stories over and over and over again that creates suffering for us. You know, it's, um, it's almost like insanity. And so um, I'm a pretty simple teacher. I like using these kind of examples, but what is this to you?
It's us, and it's our thoughts, right? This is what happens during meditation. All these thoughts (laughs) just come through our minds, and we just look at them and pay attention to them. And sometimes they'll go away, and sometimes they... We, like, actually make them harder so that they won't go away, right? But look, when you bring mindfulness into it, and you can discern through your wisdom, these thoughts that don't work, we just say, no. No thought. No. It's that simple. And it's really hard because we are so conditioned in a certain way. So I wanted to um, talk about forgiveness today. You know, uh, I was talking to the teachers at lunch and we were um, describing the different themes that were coming up in the last six groups that we've had over the last day. And here's what is going on for folks in the room. Uh, the desire or want to break out but still seeking approval from others. The lack of self-compassion or self-love. Relationship issues. Perfectionism. Not ever feeling one's good enough. The constant craving for approval. The fear of loss, aging, and death the fear of sitting in the unknown, judging ourselves and others. They all seem like common themes. And oftentimes, like, you know, we'll be sitting in the hall and we'll, like, think, like, oh, my God, I'm the only person believing this, you know, or thinking this, and you're not. And I think that's why we always, you know, we come together on retreat, um, you can always guess that everybody is like seeking a little bit more spaciousness, a little bit more ease to be with whatever arises in our experience. So I just want to share a little um, story. Uh, this month-long retreat that I went to a, a little over a year ago, um, I didn't make it all four weeks. I only made it to the third week. And the reason was, was that um, my mom got diagnosed with a brain tumor a terminal brain tumor. And so I decided, you know, to leave the retreat. And when I got home, uh, the doctor's prognosis for my mother was that she would live for another four to six months. And a little background, like, I didn't have a very good or close relationship with my mom. Like, our life on Facebook looked a lot better than (laughs) the reality. And... um, She was a very powerful, strong-willed, sort of controlling and uh, overprotective person. She had a lot of fears. You know, she was uh, very skeptical and wary of things. And growing up, it was just really hard to, like, always need to, like, meet all her expectations, you know. And also, growing up, being a kid who was, uh, you know, transgender and liked little girls and you know, was an immigrant and a person of color, I mean, all my identities are trending right now. Um, 
finally. <laughs> But it was hard growing up. <laughs> and it's so beautiful seeing all these like, little kids at three or four saying, like, I'm not a boy, I'm a girl, or I'm not a girl, I'm a boy, and being so like, sure of themselves. It just, like, oh, just breaks my heart open. And so... Um, You know, my survival mechanism was to, like, be whatever my mom wanted me to be, what my parents wanted me to be, to not let them down. You know, they came to this country with two suitcases, me and $800, and they were going to try to make a better life for us. And so, and, and they let us know that. <laughs> and so, you know, being the good Asian Pacific Islander child I was, I got the good grades, was a great athlete, played the piano, etc., Um, but I could never just be myself fully. I had to be, or I felt I needed to be what they wanted me to be. And, um, and that carried into like my relationships with friends and eventually uh, partners. It's like um, I'm not good enough or who I am is, if you actually knew who I was, you wouldn't love me or accept me. That was my story. That was my thought bubble that got hardened. And so, um, this is a little, uh, it gives you a little idea of what my mom was like growing up. So, if I did something naughty, she would always yell, Hetoyo! I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> other than, like, run. Because <laughs> spanking or something like that usually followed. So, like, several years ago, I finally asked my mom, like, Mom, like, what does Hetoyo mean? And she said, May lightning strike you. <laughs> no wonder I'm so messed up. Okay, so that was like my mom, right? Like she's just, here's my mom. She's like badass, you know, just like. And she always like, you know, wanted me to go to church and like, you know, just do things like her way for so much, you know. And as I grew up, I just like got like, ah. And I didn't rebel. I was totally like the just go the good route, you know, don't do the drugs and all that kind of stuff, because, yeah, that, that wasn't going to work for me. Um, and so when my mom got sick, I realized, like, I got ne- to heal stuff. Like, I don't want to be carrying this um, sense of not uh, finishing business, not saying what I wanted to say, not forgiving, you know, like, I just wanted to do that. Because I lost so many years of, of, of my relationship with my mother because I didn't come out to my parents till I was 38. You know, they were very uh, conservative, Republican, Fox News-watching, Bush-loving folks. Not ideal for coming out. And so um, when I finally came out to them, uh, my mom said, we've been waiting 18 years for you to say something. And they totally were fine with me being who I was, but I wasn't fine with me being who I was, and I wasn't thinking that they were going to be fine with me. So all these stories we tell, right? And so um, we decided as a family that we would give mom, like, the best, you know, four to six months, and one of her uh, biggest um, bucket list items was uh, to go to Nashville. She was a big country music fan. And so we got this um, 
tickets to see Loretta Lynn at the Grand Ole Opry. And uh, it turned out that Loretta Lynn was sick that night, but her sister, Crystal Gale, was going to be there. And um, so we saw the concert, and we said, Mom, are you disappointed that Loretta Lynn didn't show up? And she's like, no, I actually like Crystal Gale better. (laughs) There's no satisfying my mom, you know. She was just like, okay. So the last four, four to six months of her life, we, you know, took her to the Abbott Tribute concert. My mom had very varied music uh, taste, and her favorite song was Funky Town. And, um, you know, but as she began to deteriorate, um, I got to see who my mother really was. And around the same time that she got diagnosed with um, the brain tumor, um, I needed to have major surgery uh, as well, but I um, chose to postpone it because it would put me out for like eight weeks. And um, so when I told my mom, you know, that I needed to have the surgery, she's like, please have the surgery before I die. Please have the surgery before I die. I'm like, mom, you know, I can't have the surgery because I can't help you if you need it. And so uh, being my mom, she like outlived her prognosis by another six months. And I said, you know, mom, like, you know, why do you think like you've lived beyond your prognosis and she said, well, I prayed and to God that I would be alive to see you through this surgery. And so, um, you know, my mom was never one to uh, show me physical or affection or ever tell me that she loved me, but she always was there for me. So um, the last two and a half months of my mom's life, our family uh, took care of her at home and basically it's come full circle, you know. My mom changed my diapers and fed me and tucked me into bed every night and uh, that's what I ended up doing for her. And I can remember, like, every night that, you know, she would be struggling with a lot of anxiety and, and stress in the middle of the night. Um, I would just allow myself just to be present with her and just tell her, you know, Mom, I'm really sorry you have to go through this. You've worked so hard and sacrificed so much. give, you know, me and my sister a better life. And so, like, all the ways that I didn't feel my mom was able to love me or accept me or um, be there for me started to dissipate because what I got was that what was most important was my own relationship with her because bottom line, if anything, she gave me life. And as an adult, what I got was that what I do with this life is actually my responsibility. And it's not my mom's fault or my dad's fault. So holding on to this sense of like, oh, you know, they didn't give me this or I didn't get that, just all like dissipated. 
And what I saw was actually my mom's Buddha nature, her own innate goodness in the end. And that all the ways that um, she showed me her love, you know, whether it be asking if I've eaten yet or how my car was doing or whatever, um, you know, she would often call me uh, and say, you know, please come home. My email is broken. I don't know how you break email, but. <laughs> and I could remember getting so frustrated. I'm like, ah, oh. she never asked me, like, do I have time to do this or whatever. She never respects my time. <laughs> and all she wanted was just for me to come home. But she just didn't, she couldn't say, like, I really miss you. I just want you to come home. It's code for my email is broken. And so, you know, forgiveness really is. Um, about, number one, acknowledging that you're in pain. You know, like there's something happening that you're in pain. And in that acknowledgement of that pain, we can then begin to heal ourselves. And what I found through this practice is that it's really up to me to determine my freedom, not anyone else. And so in doing this practice, which is not the same practice that my parents had. They were Roman Catholic, and it's great for them. But it's not my practice. And my practice here is to, like, how can I expand my heart so big to include even this? You know, keep including bigger and bigger um, challenges and difficulties and relationships. (laughs) And once I also got that I ain't perfect either. (laughs) The reason I came to the Dharma was a really horrific breakup. This person had an affair on me, right? And I held on to that, like, oh, my God, I can't believe she did this to me. And then once I remembered, like, hey, buddy, like, you've had several affairs. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) It doesn't feel good, does it? what it's like to be on the other side of that. So I never had one again. So, you know, you kind of got to be honest with yourself. You know? And so once we can actually, like, forgive ourselves, you know, when I forgave myself, it's like, wow, you know, why did I do that? Because I never imagined that anybody would ever love me. So if anyone did, whether or not I was in a relationship, I was going to go for it. You know, that was, like, my conditioned habit tendency. (laughs) And then once I stopped like that, once I got like, you know what, you are lovable, you are acceptable, you are worthy of being in a relationship, that all turned around. The person that broke my heart, uh, led me to the Dharma, was a pastry chef. And I noticed like, you know, I would just take all the crumbs And the insight that I got was like, you know, now I want the whole freaking loaf, you know, so not settling anymore. And so in forgiving ourselves, you know, we can then begin to get, like other people have flaws and faults and tendencies and habits. We're all showing up as best we can in any given moment. And when we can like actually trust that, we can have a little bit more space, have a little bit more forgiveness. 
like this morning, you know, I, I tend to be a person who's like always on time, you know, it's like very scheduled and planned and sometimes even early for things. So this morning I was like working, working, I you know, decided to look at time and I'm like, 11.37 or whatever, like something is supposed to be happening right now. It's my group. Oh, my God. <laughs> like running upstairs. Everybody's like sitting beautifully and quietly in the circle. And yeah. Even I can be late. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah. You know. And forgiving is not about condoning the behavior of someone that's hurt you. It's not that at all. It's actually freeing your heart from that burden of feeling separate from them. And you may not ever have to, like, connect with them again, but you don't have to hold that in your own heart. So let's practice a little bit with this. And also another thing about forgiveness, it's like it's not something you make happen. You know, it's like letting go. It's like you can't like make letting go happen. It's actually the intention of wanting to do so and the practice of being with and, and, and hanging in there with rather than avoiding or averting is when it'll gradually happen in its own time. So all we actually really need to do is like get out of our own way with that. So I invite you to do this practice um, only within your own comfort zone. And it's totally fine not to do it at all if it doesn't feel like you're in a place for that today. So allowing yourself to be in a comfortable posture Allowing your eyes to close if that feels comfortable for you. And then bringing attention to the heart energy in the center of your chest. You can put your hand there if that's helpful for you. And just notice for a moment what's there right now without any judgment. see if you can even breathe through your heart center. And as I begin to offer these uh, phrases of forgiveness, see if you can feel them through your heart. I'm going to borrow one of my uh, my favorite phrases of forgiveness from my beloved teacher, Eric Kolvig. So think of ways in which you have harmed yourself. Begin with minor things, not big acts of harming. And as far as you're able to do so, extend forgiveness to yourself for this harming with these phrases. I allow myself to be imperfect. I allow myself to make mistakes. I 
I allow myself to be a learner, still learning life's lessons. I forgive myself. And if I cannot forgive myself now, may I forgive myself sometime in the future. Just noticing how those words, that energy is landing for you in your heart. I allow myself to be imperfect. I allow myself to make mistakes. I allow myself to be a learner, still learning life's lessons. I forgive myself. And if I cannot forgive myself now, may I forgive myself sometime in the future. Noticing your breath, make sure you're breathing, creating space for these words to penetrate your heart. I allow myself to be imperfect. I allow myself to make mistakes. I allow myself to be a learner, still learning life's lessons. I forgive myself. And if I cannot forgive myself now, may I forgive myself sometime in the future. Taking a breath or two here to allow those phrases to settle into your body. And now think of ways in which others have harmed you. Again, beginning with minor harms. Nothing too traumatic. And as far as you're able, extend forgiveness to them. Just as I allow myself to be imperfect, so I allow you to be imperfect. I allow you also to make mistakes. I allow you to be learners still learning life's lessons. I forgive you. 
And if I cannot forgive you now, may I forgive you sometime in the future. Allowing those phrases to land within you and extending compassion and loving kindness outwards to this being as you forgive them. Just as I allow myself to be imperfect, so I allow you to be imperfect. I allow you also to make mistakes. I allow you to be learners, still learning life's lessons. I forgive you. And if I cannot forgive you now, may I forgive you sometime in the future. Just as I allow myself to be imperfect, so I allow you to be imperfect. I allow you also to make mistakes. I allow you to be a learner, still learning life's lessons. I forgive you. And if I cannot forgive you now, may I forgive you sometime in the future. And then lastly, we'll ask forgiveness from others for the harm that we have done to them. So thinking of a situation where you may have harmed or hurt someone else. Please allow me to be imperfect. Please allow me to make mistakes. Please allow me to be a learner, still learning life's lessons. Please forgive me. And if you cannot forgive me now, please try to forgive me sometime in the future. feeling that sense of vulnerability and asking for forgiveness for harm that you have caused. 
taking responsibility for your actions. Please allow me to be imperfect. Please allow me to make mistakes. Please allow me to be a learner, still learning life's lessons. Please forgive me. And if you cannot forgive me now, please try to forgive me sometime in the future. As you're asking for this forgiveness, just feeling as much compassion and gentleness with yourself as you can. Please allow me to be imperfect. Please allow me to make mistakes. Please allow me to be a learner, still learning life's lessons. Please forgive me. And if you cannot forgive me now, please try to forgive me sometime in the future. Just sitting with whatever is arising with your experience. Being with yourself. Having compassion and kindness and gentleness towards yourself. Recognizing your own humanity allows for recognizing the humanity of others.
Thank you for your practice.